he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. get me a gay mickey gotta get a gay hello and welcome to another episode of in the details a celebration of nuance in which every once in a while i queen out on all of the acting choices micro moments and magic the minutia that make a scene great my name is colin drucker your name is barbara bell gettys and after i don't know at least a year at least a year if not more i am finally Finally coming back with another episode of Cherishing Valerie this week. I don't know. 2020 was a weird year. I don't think it was the time or the place to bring Valerie Cherish into the conversation. But uh, it is kind of the prologue to this week's episode. Um, uh, a little food for thought. So uh, anyway, I uh, before we get into it, because, you know... Those of you who've been waiting for this episode have waited long enough, and you know you don't need to hear how my January was, but uh, I know that for anyone who listened to the Nuances episode, which if you haven't, I recommend going back. I love those episodes, and I feel like they're also a nice kind of uh, Whitman sampler of other episodes I've done, uh, sort of pique your interest. You know, you might not have clicked on you know the last two minutes of Lunch Meat episode from uh, last October, but maybe after listening to the nuances, you're like, you know what? I kind of need to hear everything else he has to say about the end of this movie called Lunch Meat. I, I don't know. So um, just a little shameless self-promotion before we get into it. Uh, but the reason I bring up the nuances is that I did say my intention was to have this and my next planned episodes, maybe. I, either It's either going to be one or two. Um, because there is that whole scene, um, with Juna at her, at her party that I kind of feel like we need to dissect piece by piece. Um, and my goal was to have all these episodes out in January. Didn't happen. What are you going to do? Uh, on the plus side, I am 36 now. It was, you may remember if you've ever listened to my, uh, Bobby baby 35th birthday episode about a year ago, I turned 35 about a year ago and, um, promptly discovered my love of company. Uh, and now I'm 36 and I don't know what piece of art speaks to me as a 36 year old. Like what's the thing, you know, maybe it's the comeback. I don't know. I'm down with that idea. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's get into one of my favorite scenes in the comeback. One of my favorite moments, uh, from both seasons, but you know, anytime, anytime a woman is going to a 27, anytime Tony Collette is ruining dinner in hereditary, uh, Lately, my my new kind of favorite earworm uh, is from the movie Pieces of a Woman, which we did recently on Best Supporting Podcast. But I just love that scene when when Vanessa Kirby is is fighting with Ellen Burstyn, and she says, "I'm facing things. I'm facing things." And it's really dark because it's about you know um, her it's about her baby dying. But I just the the delivery of that line, the the repetition of it, it's a little bit Nancy Kelly in the Bad Seed. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. It's screaming. Um, anyway, uh, this is a, this just add to the canon of just you know of of cannons and you know you know exploding. You know, not to be confused with Diane Cannon, uh, who I don't think I'll ever talk about on this podcast. Because side note, I don't know. I can't make peace with Diane Cannon. I can't tell if she's a good actress or if she's like the worst actress I've ever seen. 
But anyway, enough about Diane Cannon. Let's get into it. Let's get into the next chapter of Cherishing Valerie. Valerie loses it. would Valerie Cherish handle 2020? What would Valerie be like in lockdown? How would she handle being quarantined and out of work? What about the Black Lives Matter protests over the summer or the wildfires right in her own proverbial backyard? Would she and Mark flee to Palm Springs? How would she respond to the election? My assumption is that she would likely not be a Trump supporter, even if she was probably friends with Scott Baio at some point in the 90s. It's more of a question of how performative her limited understanding of liberal politics would be on social media. Would she be the type to go live on Instagram with her thoughts on how we get through this together as a country? What version of Val would we even be getting during a pandemic? Would she get real? Or would she be caught in the compilation of tone-deaf celebrities warbling verses of Imagine from their vacation homes? I like to think that Circa 2020 Valerie is the Valerie we see in the desert in season two, at the end of her rope and making beef rollatini in a craft services truck. A woman who was told this would all be over much sooner, on a shoot that's been slowed and stunted by incapable people at the helm, a woman who had plans and aspirations that needed to be first delayed and then inevitably canceled, and who is losing hope and patience, and who ultimately just loses her shit, knuckle deep in cream cheese. We find Valerie at an interesting point in her life and in the comebacks narrative by episode six, accurately titled Valerie Cooks in the Desert. The reviews for Seeing Red are in, and while they are not particularly fond of the show itself, Valerie is getting positive marks from even the New York Times. Mark has moved to a house in the Palisades and feels even further away. We haven't gotten to their infamous parking lot showdown yet, and so Valerie's blinders are still very much up, when it comes to the fraying edges of their marriage. Meanwhile, Mickey's health, an ongoing C-plot of season two, is getting harder to put a pin in and forget about, as his cancer medication side effects rear their ugly head and at often inopportune times, as we see in act one of the episode. Few shows can layer as much pathos and meaning into an extended poop joke like the comeback. Rada from HBO has stopped by Valerie's trailer to discuss plans to shoot more Mallory scenes, likely due to the initial positive reviews and also because Pauly G still hasn't turned in a completed script. There are no pages, Ron! But we'll get to that. While Rada and Valerie are talking, Mickey gets an urgent call from Mother Nature that must be answered immediately, sending him to the bathroom mere feet away. 
The next sequence, which I won't play for you, could easily be played as just cringe humor, with Valerie grinning and bearing it through the occasional interjection from the bathroom until they feign a casual completion to their conversation and Rada leaves. Mickey emerges in shame, and Valerie insists it's fine, mustering up a somewhat convincing, you gotta go, you gotta go. What we're really seeing in this scene is a metaphor for how Valerie is handling the dark reality that her best friend is sick. We are seeing how hard she is working to smooth it over and pretend everything is fine, and not confront that reality, no matter how obvious and intrusive and unavoidable it gets. Mickey doesn't join Valerie for the day of shooting in the desert. I wonder if things would have happened any differently if he had been there, but I'd like to think he'd probably let her have this meltdown. Valerie's intention and expectation is to be out by 5 p.m. because she and Mark have dinner plans which initially were at Nobu but have devolved into beef rollatini prepared by Valerie on set. Mary and Nina, another longtime assistant and industry friend of Valerie's, is there in Mickey's absence to keep her wig in place and help with the beef. And of course, Jane and Tyler are there to help and hinder, respectively. At some point in Seeing Red, Mallory Church is kidnapped by the series' central troubled writer, played by Seth Rogen, who is also unfortunately not there to advocate for Valerie as he did during the infamous blowjob scene earlier in the season. This means Valerie is subjected to an increasingly ridiculous series of takes that require her to be bound, gagged with duct tape, and locked in the trunk of a car with, at first, some rubber snakes, and then eventually at least one live snake to make it look more realistic. The episode's director, Andy Tate, who we met previously during Valerie's green screen sequence and see now in a glaring Broadway Bears baseball hat, shows her true colors as a director here. She knows how to sweet-talk her actors with that tone of, come on, girlfriend, that devolves into absolute manipulation. Hey, Mark. Uh, what? Now, girlfriend, the snakes, they still look fake. Well. So I need to throw in a few live ones. What? Okay, not poisonous. It's going to be so good, okay? Please. One, just one snake, it will make the whole thing believable. One. Okay, and but it has to be over there and nowhere near me, okay? Okay. Girlfriend. Just FYI, there are no real dragons in Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's not a joke. Okay, can't do it in post? Yeah, here we go! Post quit. Oh, all right. To say nothing of Valerie's tenuous connection with Pauly G, which is officially on thin ice after she inadvertently reveals to him that the reviews for Seeing Red are mixed. It dissolves completely after she storms his tent later in the day, cameras in tow, of course, on a false tip from Tyler that he was in there doing drugs with some strange guy. What time is it, Jane? 2.30? It is 2.30. Okay. Not getting out of here by 5, huh? One of the crew guys said he's not even riding in there. He's just doing drugs. What? Is that true? That's really important, Tyler. Is that true? Who said that? What? What's going on? What did he say? He said he saw some weird guy show up and go in his tent like 20 minutes ago. Twi so is he in there now? Is he in there right now with the, oh no, no. Damn it, damn it. Shoot, that's not good. This is not good, not good. Jane, some guys, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Polly G's doing drugs. What if he gets hooked again? Then I miss my dinner. And then what was this all about? You know, all of this, what was it about? You know what, you guys, you keep filming. No matter what, you keep filming. We're going to scare the guy away. 
She discovers that he is in fact getting a massage, which is not necessarily as disconcerting, but is also not a total relief because it means he's not writing the last scene. What is it? I don't know what that is. Get the fuck out of here! But what's happening? Get out! Jane, do you know what that is? Jesus Christ! What is that? He's getting massaged. Get the fuck out! When are you ever gonna fucking stop? We should go. Tyler, why'd you send me in there? Not doing drugs. Why'd you do that? He said you saw a weird guy, and I... And then you filled in the rest of the story. Don't do that. You're not a writer. After this, Valerie retreats to the catering truck like a scolded child to make beef rollatini with her friends. It's a surprisingly wholesome moment on the show. Anytime Valerie and Jane are genuinely connecting on something is a pleasure, like seeing a mother and her rebellious teenage daughter find common ground. This brings us to a moment of true catharsis on the comeback. I don't think it's like the season two version of the cupcake scene, but it does feel like a more mature, awakened Valerie finally standing up for herself on set. In this case, though, her main adversary isn't Polly, but the line producer, Ron. When he first confronts Valerie, it's interesting the passive-aggressive team player approach she takes. This is an old hat she's tried on many times. It's not that she's necessarily wrong, but hair and makeup were not her chief motivations for getting out of the sun. I just roll up the meat. Okay. Good. Nice. Valerie. Uh-huh. Look, Look at that. that. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> that was good. I'm going to do another. Okay. It's not that hard, you know, as oh. it turns out. Here comes the boss man, ladies. Oh, all right. Well, we're busy. Why aren't you on the set? Well, Ron, I was up on the set, you know, but there were no pages. So my wig started popping and then my makeup started melting. I had to, you know, come back up to reattach and reapply. So still no pages, so I thought I'd just stay up here, keep cool, you know, thinking about production. I love how Lisa Kudrow navigates this next moment of Ron asking her what she's doing and having to somehow put into words the strange truth, which she quickly pivots away from back to familiar passive aggression. As in, yes, okay, I'm making beef rollatini, but let's focus on what matters. What are you doing right now? Right now? Well, I'm making a beef rollatini, you know, because, you know, Ron, I'm not out by five, right? That ship sailed. So just making my husband dinner. You're rolling up beef on my time? There is an energetic shift here. The camera is focused on the beef on the counter, but after Ron asks that, it shifts up to Valerie's face, and we see the Valerie from season one at the upfronts who was ready to throw the fucks around. On your time? There are no pages, Ron. There are no pages, okay? The hair and makeup truck told me if I go up there and melt in the sun again, it's gonna be two hours of repair work, okay? I need those two hours for my, for my life. At this point, she stormed to the door of the catering truck, hands coated knuckle deep in seasoned cream cheese, still in her iconic tracksuit. It's interesting to see the many layers of Valerie. The actress, the character Mallory, based on Val from five years ago, playing Aunt Sassy in the same outfit. It's interesting to see Valerie get so real in this moment and to see all of the illusions she's playing at once at the same time. And her hands are just frosted with cheese. That's probably the most important nuance. Shayna shows up at this point and walks right into the crosshairs. Hey Val, I'd like to invite you to set. 
Okay, and then this one, okay, she's invited me to set four times today. And it's a false invitation, because I get up there and I'm the only guest. All right? That's not right, okay? Shana? There's a clip of this scene on YouTube, and one of the commenters brilliantly pointed out how Valerie modifies her anger in this next clip as she's directing her rage at Shana and getting her name right for the first time. The way she concedes to the fact that they probably taught her these irritating habits in AD school, as she says, how it's not exactly her fault. Don't try to coax me into coming to set either anymore, okay? Stop at the invitations, all right? I'm not a child. You want me to come to set? Just tell me you want me to come to set. I'll come. It's probably not your fault. Probably teach you that in AD school, right? What do they say? What do they say? Don't tell actors to come to set. They don't like being told what to do. Is that what they say? Invite them like it's a party. Actors like parties. That last line of actors like parties sounds like Valerie's doing an impression of herself. It reveals a surprising level of awareness of how actors are and even how she can be or perhaps how she used to be. I don't think I've given much airtime to the character of Shayna and Zoe Chow's performance, but she is pitch perfect as the assistant director. All of their interactions this season are fraught with the tension of Shayna not saying how she's really feeling about Valerie. I think it's sort of perfect that she ended up in this moment because it gave Valerie an opportunity to essentially say, I could see past all those blank stares and tense pauses whenever you had to deal with me. I read an old Vulture review of this episode that commented on the blank stare on Shayna's face when this is happening, but I saw a lot of hurt and shame. It's sort of fascinating to see Shayna getting shut down by someone she hasn't really had much respect for. But it's also fair to say she didn't really deserve this much of Valerie's frustration. There's one close-up of Shayna towards the end of this next clip as Val goes on that is such an interesting micro-moment of someone being yelled at. And I love that this scene isn't just a blow-up with Ron, but this layered interaction between Shayna and Valerie as well. Don't do that anymore, all right? And while we're here, might as well tell you, please don't ask for my autograph at the end of every day on the timeout sheet, okay? Don't do that. Is that another thing they taught you? Actors love signing their autographs, so ask for it that way. Just don't, don't ask for my autograph anymore, okay? I know you're not a fan. That's okay, and I know that you are not a fan. The showdown comes to a peak when Ron tells Valerie he wants her back up on the set, and she delivers a speech worthy of the climax of the Poseidon adventure. It made me think of Gene Hackman hanging from a steam pipe valve reckoning with God. It's kind of perfect that we do still see Valerie the diva, but she brings it home in the end by turning it all back onto Ron. I want you up on the set now. You know what, Ron? I was up on the set, okay? I was up on the set earlier, locked in a hot, gas-fume-smelling trunk with live snakes. And where were you? You weren't there. Where were you? I know where you were. You were sitting in your chair in air conditioning. Okay. The middle finger? Yeah. That's not right. No. That's right. The middle finger. Did you see that? The aria of inflections on, where were you? You weren't there. Where were you? I know where you were. You were sitting in your chair in air conditioning. And where were you? You weren't there. Where were you? I know where you were. You were sitting in your chair in air conditioning. There's something about the fact that she calls out his chair. It's almost a low blow, but I don't think she's making fun of his disability. I think it's just this perfect emphasis to how essentially comfortable Valerie claims he's been compared to her. And it's so perfectly Valerie to even consider, well, at least the guy in the wheelchair gets to sit. 
I also think the line wouldn't work if she didn't put the emphasis on conditioning at the end of the sentence. I love how shrill she gets, but not in the derogatory way people say a woman is shrill. I just love the dissonance between how angry she is, but how banal the words are. Instead of saying, I'm up there sweating my ass off, and you're down here barking orders from the comfort of your trailer, she has to channel her rage into his access to climate control. Marianina does get the soundbite. Okay. The middle finger? Yeah. That's not right. No. Which I love. But I also appreciate that the last shot of Valerie in this scene is her speaking directly to the camera, saying, the middle finger, did you see that? And pointing her cheesy finger directly at us. She is clearly both a little shaken and emboldened, proud of herself but slightly precarious. This moment is a win for Valerie, but it gets her no closer to being out by five and to Mark's by seven. The next scene is Valerie arriving at Mark's at 11.30 and attempting to leave the prepped beef rollatini at his doorstep with a note so that Mark will at least know she tried. Some neighborhood dogs quickly show up and take off with most of the beef, and Valerie's attempt to wake Mark up with a pebble against his bedroom window results in a broken window pane and an even more frustrated Mark. This final scene at the house is an interesting juxtaposition to what we see in the desert. This is a Valerie who won one battle but lost the entire war today. It's one of Valerie's quieter moments. It's all of the notes in between what she's saying that tell us what she's feeling. And the note she attempts to leave with dinner, Marky Mark, I was late, hopefully not too late, I love you, Valerie, feels prophetic of a larger fear of hers. That feeling of missing out on her life, on being too late, comes to a head in the last couple episodes of season two. For so long, her fears were that she wouldn't be appreciated, that she wouldn't be famous. She was more concerned about losing fans than losing Mark. So it's no coincidence that the idea of fans comes up in this meltdown in the desert. The fact that she can say at this moment, I know you're not a fan, that's okay, is huge. There is an old version of Valerie that loved, can I just get your autograph? And I'd like to invite you to set loved the implications of that treatment, and more importantly, fell for it. What we see here is Valerie asking to not be treated like that anymore because she realizes she isn't that person anymore. This act they're all doing with each other isn't real. What's real is dinner with Mark. What's real is that Mickey is sick. Valerie may have lost it this episode, but it's worth it for what she ends up finding in the process. And that, as they say, is that. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I feel like there's there's maybe two more episodes of Cherishing Valerie left. And I don't think it's going to take a whole year for the next one to come. I have a good feeling about February. But I am, uh, I feel like as much as we dove into the details of this meltdown in the desert, I want to dive into the details of that scene at Juna's party, that, that moment between Valerie and Juna that I think when you think of their, their relationship over both seasons, to see that as like their final moment together in the series is so powerful. And I love the Juna we see in season two. So I'm very excited to talk about that. And then of course, we've got to queen out about the last episode, which I think is in some ways my subjective opinion, 
you know, remember my feelings on Diane Cannon, I'm very subjective, uh, is really one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. And um, the impact, I mean, the first time I ever saw that, that moment, you know, when uh, when she steps out of the theater into the lobby and reality, <laughs> reality sets in, you know, it's, I keep thinking like to me, you know, there's in terms of moments in TV and movies, there's when Dorothy Gale opens the door of, of the house and steps in, out of black and white and into Technicolor. And there's the moment that Valerie Cherish steps into reality. So I uh, can't wait to talk about all of that. Um, but in the meantime, I'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on Cherishing Valerie, your thoughts on the comeback, your thoughts on really anything. It's all welcome. Uh, just, you know, as long as it's nice, you know. But the best way to do that is to drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com or connect with me on Twitter at Colin Drucker or on Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. Um, and, uh, of course, you can find more of me on All Right Mary, uh, currently queening out about season 13 of Drag Race and season 2 of Drag Race UK. And you can find me every single week on the Best Supporting Podcast, queening out on Best Supporting Actresses with Nick Kachanov. Um, and that pretty much covers it. So, uh, thank you for swinging by to queen out on some nuances with me again this week. And I look forward to more cherishing of Valerie in the future. So, uh, to quote the great Brenda Vaccaro, I think I'll be going if you'll excuse me. See ya. I'm staying, I'm staying.